Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. All right, here we go. Good to see you all this morning. It's been a while. You don't know who I am. I won't tell you. Okay, here we go. Let's go ahead and pray. Sorry, my bad. It's all right. Heavenly Father, Lord God, um, we bless you and thank you again for uh, bringing us here today. Uh, Again, we would ask and pray that, uh, again, we have uh, looked forward to and anticipated uh, coming together on the Lord's Day uh, to fellowship, to, uh, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Uh, to hear the gospel preached, whether, again, it's through fellowship, whether it's through prayer, whether, the Lord, it's through uh, Sunday school or um, through the songs that we sing, that our desire, again, is to be pleasing to you. And we ask and pray, Lord, that you would draw near to us. Uh, We thank you again that as we've uh, done this study on Pilgrim's Progress, uh, that, uh, again, these characters are in Vanity Fair. And that, Lord, we would uh, be reminded again that this is an allegory, it's a story, but it reflects on the world that we live in, uh, that we live in a place that is surrounded by vanity, uh, by temptations, by, th- by, um, by a, a spirit of the age, Lord God, that seeks, Lord, to stumble us and draw us away from you. And yet we thank you that you preserve our faith, you strengthen us, and uh, you've called us, Lord, to, to be pilgrims and to be faithful to you. And so we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, let this time be honoring and pleasing to you. Let Christ be glorified. And we just bless you again uh, for all these things. We ask it in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so here we go. Uh, just kind of give you a heads up on the chaos that uh, it is where we're at right now. Uh, we are, as mentioned, we're you know, in Vanity Fair in the story. And I'm going to do a little bit of a recap and uh, just give you an idea, I have three, three Sundays to finish this. I've been given an ultimatum uh, that I have to have this thing done by the end of January. I feel like, okay, it's almost like a challenge, but I can do it. Um, so what we have here is you have uh, the worksheet or the study guide number six, and then we're gonna move through that, and then we'll go into number seven. And then, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday we'll get into uh, Doubting Castle and Giant Despair and go through all of that. And then everything else I'm just going to streamline. Okay, so it will be done. Okay, Um, hopefully uh, it won't be too bad for you. But a blessing. All right, so let's talk about uh, Vanity Fair a little bit here. Okay, so we have two main characters. Right, Luke? Two main characters? Just give me one of them. Pilgrim? Pilgrim, yes. Pilgrim, his name is Christian. Christian, Christian right? Okay, that's right. He, and uh, then he has a companion who is like almost like a hero in the story, right? He's uh, commendable. He's admirable. Uh, he is a blessing to Christian. His name is Faithful. Faithful, yeah. Faithful, that's right. And so that's really cool. Again, this idea that your this companion with you is a, a, is a personified as being uh, faithful. And you already know that they uh, go into this village, this this fair, this marketplace refer, called Vanity Fair, and it was its founded. Its founder is Belzebub, Belzebub, uh, Satan, right? And so 
this is meant again. This is uh, the, the the Christian. The pilgrims have to go through this this fair, and um, this fair sells stuff. Okay, sells stuff. And and we talked about last time about worldliness, worldliness, because again, everything that that's being sold in Vanity Fair is descriptive of everything the world is throwing at you. It's trying to get you to buy. Um, and I, we mentioned uh, last time that we have a I have a quote from David Wells about what is worldliness. He says, Worldliness is a system of values in any given age which has at its, at its center our fallen human perspective, which displaces God and his truth from the world, and which makes sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. It thus gives great plausibility to what is morally wrong, and for that reason makes what is wrong seem normal. And so I thought it was interesting, again, in, uh, in uh, Wells' definition there about uh, which makes sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. And so the minute these two guys start going into the, the, the village and the city and the market, they stand out, right? They're, 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 they're strangers who are strange. Okay, now why are they strange to the, 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 to the people who are selling stuff, to the people who live there? What, what makes them kind of draw, get attention drawn to them? <clears throat> They don't want anything to do with it, right? They, they're doing this whole thing to put their clothes in their eyes and plug in their ears. They're, um, they're being basically bombarded by propaganda, by advertising, by people who are selling stuff. And what are, what people are, what, what are they being, trying to be sold? What kind of stuff? What is the world trying to sell you? You're, you're aware of the world, basically, yeah. There's a lot of garbage, right? There's a lot of propaganda. There's a lot of, again, things that we're being told constantly that the world values, right? That the world says this is the ultimate goal. That this is what you should to seek treasures on earth. Uh, and it, that could be materialism, right? It could be the values of our age. For example, we talk here about um, um, uh, the D Disrespect for Marriage Act got passed not too long ago, right? Telling us again that um, if you love someone in the LGBTQ movement, whatever, uh, at least with the Disrespect for Marriage Act, is that that's been codified, that homosexual unions, I won't even call them marriages, that's legal and it's codified in our, in our country, and so we should honor that, we should accept that, we should, we should celebrate that, okay, they're trying to sell that, right, and they're pressuring Christians that you need to get with the program, right, don't discriminate, don't, don't be a hater, right, what else? Gender, got some issues with gender, apparently we can't tell the difference between a boy and a girl anymore, right? Other things, you are aware, again, there's lots and lots and lots of agendas, ideologies that are out there that are trying to pressure and conform Christians to the world, right? And Christian and uh, faithful, they're resisting that. They're saying, we don't buy it, we don't want it, we don't need it because we seek truth. We seek treasures in heaven. We seek Jesus, right? And so they're standing out, and of course, then there's a reaction to that. And that's what's interesting about this whole story is that they're not going to, uh, the citizens of Vanity Fair are not going to let live and let live. They're not going to let them just kind of go on their merry way. Um, they're getting mad about that. They're getting angry about it to the point where it almost causes a riot, which is interesting when you read the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, uh, when the, the apostles or the apostle Paul goes into a city, he's preaching the gospel, he's living out the gospel, it seems to step on people's toes, right? He seems to, again, do, uh, live in such a way, speak in such a way, uh, do certain things, again, that causes a commotion, right? To the point where eventually 
the, the leaders of, the, of Vanity Fair arrest them. And we talked about that last time, yes? Okay, so let's talk about the actual trial itself. Oop, and I just lose my paper. Okay, so on your, what I'm gonna do is I'm going to uh, kind of go back to the book a little bit and kind of surf my own notes here because just for the sake of time, and hopefully this is being recorded this time. All right, so they're brought before the judge who's Lord Hategood. <laughs> Lord Hategood. That's not always a good sign when your judge who's supposed to be impartial hates good. All right? And um, they're going to bring three witnesses against uh, Christian and faithful. And the first one is named what? Can anyone remember? Envy. Envy, right? And the reason for envy, it's interesting, is that uh, when they're arrested, when Christian and faithful are arrested, their, their response to it, they're abused, they're, um, they're mocked, uh, they're spit upon, they're put into a cage, people throw dirt and mud at them, they're, and the way they respond is they turn the other cheek. Remember we talked about this last time? That again, when you're being persecuted, when you're being, uh, again, uh, there's a reaction against you. It's not eye for an eye. You're not uh, seeking revenge. But they're actually showing patience. They're showing kindness. They're speaking uh, in a way and acting in a way that um, for some, they're noticing that. And they're saying, you know what? There's something different about these guys and how they're responding to persecution. And so they're gaining a little bit of a following among some of the citizens of Vanity Fair, which makes the other, the majority, Envious, they make them angry, and that actually makes things worse for them. Okay, and then you have, and so we get to the trial, you get to the trial, and so you have the three witnesses. The first one is envy, and it's interesting in the text uh, with with uh, Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress. He says this, um, and this is envy speaking. Um, uh, My lord, this man, regardless of his name, is one of the vilest men in our country. He's talking about faithful. He does not respect prince or people, law or custom but he does all that he can to impress others with his disloyal notions, which he calls principles of faith and holiness. And I heard him once myself affirm that Christianity and the customs of our town of vanity are diametrically opposed and could not be reconciled, by which, my Lord, he not only condemns all of our good deeds, but also us for doing them. And I I want to focus again on that whole thing about, I heard him once say, affirm, that the customs of our town and uh, Christianity and the customs of our town are diametrically opposed. Okay, when something's diametrically opposed, what does that mean? Complete opposites, that's right. Now, when I read this again, it kind of, uh, I'll be honest, it kind of shocks me a little bit. Because again, um, the spirit of our age is about um, syncretism. It's about compromise. It's about wearing you down. All right, because again, the world and its values, the things it's trying to sell, the propaganda, the, 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 uh, the lies of the enemy, again, are subtle. And they're constantly, constantly, constantly trying to wear on you, right? And you're basically hearing stuff and seeing stuff and, and being exposed to stuff all around you all the time, yes? Right? You turn on the TV set, you go on the internet, you, uh, you go to the movies, uh, you hear from Washington. Um, you see it in the education system, you see it in business, you see it in the popular culture. It's all around you. We are immersed in Vanity Fair, right? And so as a Christian, you're constantly, again, uh, being told over and over again, you need to accept this. You need to, to compromise. You need to, to give in. 
You need to hedge a little bit. You need to not be so rigid about your views and, you're and you would dare say that this is sin. You would dare say that this is wrong. And, uh, you would dare say that this is an abomination in the eyes of God. Man, you're a bigot, right? You need to get with the program. You need to be a, 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 a you know, person of love and, and uh, just basically just kind of go with the, go with the flow, right? And so the whole point is that in the story that, that, um, that Faith will say is that everything that Vanity Fair stands for is diametrically opposed to Christianity. There's no compromise. There's no truce at all. And again, I would say again, for us as a church, we have to do the exact same thing. What the world's selling, remember, what Saint, Satan is trying to do, we have to say no. We have to stand firm. And we have to recognize, again, that that, again, is opposite of the, of the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. They're diametrically opposed to one another. And then he goes, then he goes on to the next uh, uh, witness here. Now, the next one's named superstition. Superstition. And it's interesting with superstition um, and the response of superstition. He says, uh, basically, the judge says, okay, superstition, what do you got to say about, uh, about these two guys, especially faithful? <clears throat> And the superstition says, my Lord, I do not know this man very well, and I don't want to. However, from some conversation I've had with him the other day, I do know that he's a troublemaker. For while talking with him, I heard him say that our religion was worthless and by no means pleasing to God. Your Lordship knows very well that by, by saying this, he means that we worship in vain, that we are still in our sins, and finally we shall be damned, and that's what I have to say. Yeah. All right, the reason I'm saying it's a little shocking again is because we live in a society of religious pluralism, right? Of religious toleration. And so the, the, the attitude and the spirit of the age is that all religions are the same, right? If you talk to the average person and you talk about, you know, God, you talk about spiritual things and so on, they'll just kind of say things like, you know, well, they're all teaching the same stuff. <clears throat> All right, they're all about somehow about the about some uh, you know new next life or some kind of spirituality or some kind of enlightenment or something to that effect. I mean, like Hinduism or Buddhism or something like that. And it's interesting again from a biblical perspective. Again, faithful is being faithful to the gospel, being faithful to God. He's basically saying that, like Jesus says in John fourteen six, Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father." but through me. And that does not sell in our culture, right? Because what we're basically saying is that every religion, every belief system outside of Christianity is a lie. And people are going to get mad about that. People are going to get angry about it. People are going to get offended by that. And that's what's happening in Vanity Fair. So, um, and it's interesting too, the word superstition, because um, you'll see on your outline here on page nine, and uh, Bunyan, when he uses that phrase here, we usually think of superstition like, you know, don't the black cat, you know, don't let the black cat run right in front of you, or don't break a mirror, or something like that. But that's not how, what the actual word means. Uh, it means actually an excessive, excessive exactness or rigor in, in religious opinion or practice rooted in false religion, false worship. And the reason it triggered my mind here a little bit is that when you read early Christian sources about Christianity, so what I mean, these are non-Christian sources. You, you look at Suetonius, Tacitus, um, a number of 
of non-Christian writers in the first century talking about Christianity, it's interesting, they use the phrase superstitious, superstition, okay? So for example, um, and what, what does that mean? So you have Suetonius, we're talking about uh, Nero, and Nero's affliction, Nero's persecution of the early church, and his, the, the tortures he was doing to the early church. He says, punishment was afflicted on the Christians, a set of men adhering to a novel and mischievous superstition. It's interesting, again, is that they're, they're, they're interpreting that word as a superstition as an outlaw religion, as something that's novel, something that, again, is not uh, being recognized by the, the, by the authorities. And um, it's interesting that word superstition comes up a lot talking about the early church. Um, you have Tacitus in, uh, in 44 AD. Uh, he's a Roman historian. And he's talking about the, uh, the, um, the growth of Christianity in the Roman Empire. And he talks about during uh, the, and he mentions Jesus. He mentions Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius. And he writes, check for the moment this pernicious superstition broke out again, not only in Judea, the source of the evil, but even in Rome, the place where everything that is sordid and degrading from every quarter of the globe finds a following. And so the word superstition comes up again and again. And it's interesting, too, is that uh, the word uh, also is um, uh, stubborn. The Christians are stubborn, right? And uh, superstition in Bunyan's uh, story will mention again is that faithful and Christian are stubborn. Now, the context of that is that uh, the Roman authorities felt like they were being gracious. You know, they they had this, this, this process where, again, Christianity was outlawed, and so they were going to be nice and allow you to deny Jesus, okay? So, and, and if you ever get a chance to study this, really fascinating, again, the, the, the legal process, especially under Pliny the Younger, where, again, if you were arrested, uh, you were given an opportunity to basically spit on Jesus, deny Jesus, offer incense to the, to the, to the emperor, uh, denounce Jesus, uh, and, um, and basically be, be good. But true Christians were stubborn. True Christians would say, I don't care. I don't care. Okay, I will not deny Jesus. And the reason I'm bringing this up is that this is going to be a major, major theme in uh, Pilgrim's Progress, but it's also, again, in the Scriptures also. Because I've been, um, when you re- if you've read the Bible and you, and you see a theme, persecution of the church is like a, a dominant theme, right? And remember, this, again, as an allegory, Vanity Fair, the trial, is persecution. It's talking about the persecution of believers, right? And so I'm always struck by that because um, not only what's happening in our society, but again, if you get a chance to read uh, like Voice of the Martyrs, hopefully you get this every month or I don't know how often it comes out, but um, this is the most recent edition, but it talks about how Christians are being persecuted in Africa, right? And you need to read these things. I would just encourage you to read these things because it shocks me back into reality. And Jesus says, if they hate me, they will hate you. And I'm not saying, let's have a martyr complex. But I am saying, again, when you read in Scripture over and over and over again, and you read books like Pilgrim's Progress, which talks again about that it's normal, I'm going to use the word normal, for Christians to be rejected, for Christians to be persecuted in some form or fashion, if they're standing firmly in the, in the gospel, um, it's a challenge. It's a major challenge. And for these Christians, I read these stories, and it blows my mind. It humbles me. It, it I mean, I have to pray afterwards because these are Christians who are dying for the faith now. They're, they're, and so I highly encourage you to go get a chance to, to, uh, to constantly be aware of this and be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who are currently 
uh, being persecuted. Now, going on in the story, you have a third uh, character, and uh, this is a guy, it's kind of a weird name, it's Pickthank. Pickthank. And on your outline, if you go, on, go all the way over to page 10, it's interesting that uh, in one source, it refers to Pickthank as an archaic term that denotes a whispering parasite. That's an interesting term, if you're a whispering parasite, okay? And the idea being is that this is a person who is, um, he's basically not, he's looking for, he's an opportunist, he's trying to find a way to be part of the crowd. Uh, he's picking on Christian and faithful and, and his, uh, his uh, you know, he's not really a reliable witness in order to just gain acceptance from the mob, okay? And so Pick thinks his uh, complaint against faithful and Christian says this, is that, um, well, actually, I'm going to read it out in your outline here. At the very bottom, it says, My Lord my, and all you gentlemen, I've known this fellow for a long time, and I've heard him speak things that ought not to be spoken. He has railed against our noble prince Belzebub, and has spoken contemptuously of his honorable friends, Lord old, old Man, Lord Carnal Delight, Lord Luxurious, Lord Desire of Vainglory, <coughs> Old Lord Lechery, Sir Having Greedy, along with the rest of our nobility. He has said, moreover, that if, if, if all men were of his mind, that these noblemen would be run out of town. He has also not been afraid to rail at you, my lord, who has now appointed him to be his judge, calling you an ungodly villain, along with many such uh, vilifying terms, and so on and so forth. Okay? So again, supposedly faithful has been bad-mouthing the, the, the demon's minions, the demon's lieutenants, basically the people who represent the power and authority of Vanity Fair. And I like when Faithful responds to this. Um, he says here, uh, uh, Faithful says, As to what Mr. Pickthank has, has said, I, I say that the prince of this town and his attendants, named by this gentleman, are more fit for hell than for this town, and contrary, and so Lord have mercy on us. Or have mercy on me, excuse me. So Faithful is bold in the face of persecution, in the face again saying again that... Um, I pretty much stand against uh, you know these authorities and those everything you're trying to do, and uh, and Lord help me. It's kind of like very much like Luther. You think about the uh, at the the Council of Worms. Now, if you go all the way over to the end, uh, not the end, but actually on page 12, what happens next is that um, of course they're going to bring the jury in. The jury's all. Prince villains, they're all people, again, that are representative of Vanity Fair in, in this world, and they all say, he's going to die. He's got to die. Faithful has got to die. Okay, we, we, our verdict upon him is he's worthy of death, and so, um, and that's what's going to happen. And so they're going to take Faithful out, and they're going to torture him. And so almost every kind of torture you think of, uh, they do to him, and, uh, and uh, they, they'll, they'll do that. And of course, remember, evangelists earlier on had predicted, or not predicted, had prophesied that, again, one of, the, one of them would die. And so you have someone dying for the faith. What's interesting, if you get to the very end of the chapter, is that as uh, faithful is being burned at the stake, it mentions here, it says, Now I saw there stood behind the multitude a, a chariot and a couple of horses waiting for faithful. Who was, uh, who was uh, as soon as his adversaries had killed him, was taken up into it and immediately carried up through the clouds with a sound of trumpets, nearest, the nearest way to the celestial gate. Okay, so just stop right there. So again, as Faithful is dying, or as he dies, there's a chariot of, of fire. Right? There's a chariot behind him, okay? 
And I, and I love that whole imagery because that's very synonymous again of Elijah. Remember that, right? And so, uh, so again, faithful is brought directly to heaven. He's brought, so he, man, the, the whole goal of the pilgrimage is to reach the celestial city, right? The mirror for us, our goal, the end game, be with Jesus, right? So faithful is actually, again, and it's, uh, he's on his way, he's there. And then uh, Christian, it's, uh, he, he basically escapes. We don't even know how he actually, they, they put him back in prison, and then somehow, some way, providentially, God allows him to, to leave, all right? And then you have this very little, last little uh, song that Christian will sing, it says, well faithful, thou hast faithfully professed unto thy Lord, with whom thou shalt be blessed. When faithless ones with all their vain delights are crying out under their hellish plights, sing, faithful, sing, and let thy name survive. For though they kill thee, yet thou art alive. So I love that story again. I love that reminder, that imagery again there. Um, and, and this is normal. This is the normal Christian life. You begin to read the, the, uh, the uh, New Testament. You see this a lot. Okay, one more thing. I'm going to read uh, from the book of Hebrews real quickly here. Uh, just again, just to tie into this, this idea of persecution uh, of the church. And this is in Hebrews chapter 10. And this begins in verse 32. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. This is going to tie into the next chapter. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. So that's our part of the story there for section six. Now we're going to move on to section number seven. All right. So everyone still with me? Okay, I'm not moving too fast. All right. So... The good news is that in the midst of uh, this trial, in the midst of everything that's going on at Vanity Fair, there are, there are individuals in the fair who are, who are being one. Okay, they're being one to Christ. And the, the next person who's going, to be, uh, who's going to join up with Christian is, is hopeful. Okay, hopeful. And so now you have this, this uh, and this is on the, your next outline. This is number seven. Those, if you have it on the electronic version, uh, you can read that. I have a few hard copies up here too. Now it says, go, it says on here in the in the, the book, it says, Now I saw in my dream that Christian did not go, go on alone, for hopeful who had been won to the Lord by the words and behavior of Christian and faithful in their sufferings at the fair, joined him and promised that he would be his companion. Thus one died to bear testimony to the truth, and another rose out of his, out of the, his ashes to be a companion to Christian on his pilgrimage. Hopeful also told Christian that there were many more men in the fair who would eventually follow them. I love that. All right, so they're on their way. They're on the, 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 the straight and narrow path, and they run into a guy named Mr. Byens. Mr. Byens, okay? Mr. Byens. And so this is on page one of your outline here. And um, we're going to talk about Mr. Byens here. Um, if you go to point four, it says here, 
A buy-end is a subordinate end often rooted in private interests or secret purpose or selfish advantage. Buy-ends represents the duplicity of openly following Christ and honoring God while truly living for self and seeking selfish gain. He believes that he has a good understanding of, of, of the times in which he lives and can adapt and, or adjust the circumstances of his own advantage. Bayans is not ashamed of his religion or opposed to being identified with Christ, the next, next line, but he is rather selective as to when and how he wields his religion. Okay? So again, it's interesting that this is a person, again, who chooses to be a Christian when it's convenient, chooses to be religious when it works for him, when it's to his advantage. Um, you know, he has a, uh, an easy, comfortable uh, uh, type of Christianity that is obviously very worldly. Um, I was thinking again, we used to, in the 70s, we talked, use this phrase, a casual Christian. A casual Christian, right? You know, you know when you have casual wear, right? It's comfortable, right? It's, uh, basically, it's something that, again, that's gonna, um, not going to require much of you. And so here is that um, they'll, have this, they'll start this conversation between hopeful and Christian. And so they'll say, basically, the first thing it's going to say is, like, you know, who are you? And... Um, so Bayans is not going to want to give, the, give, the, give himself away. Okay? He's not going to give his name away. So he starts talking about where he's from. Okay? I'm not going to get all into that. But one thing that's going to come up here, and this is going to be on point B here, about Mr. Bayans' confession. It is true that we somewhat differ in religion from those of a stricter sort. Stricter sort. So Mr. Bayans is somewhat of a liberal. Right? He is a kind of Christianity that's loosey-goosey, uh, that basically, that you know, it's, when it's convenient for him to be a Christian, he is. When it's not, he won't be. All right. And when he looks, when him and Christians start going at it, start talking back and forth, um, Mr. Bynes is going to accuse Christian of being a, a basically a strict Christian. Okay, a strict Christian. All right. And I just thought about that again. Is that when you talk to someone who is liberal, someone who basically, for religion, for them, is just something that's that's a cultural type of Christianity, it's convenient, um, it's just a kind of a nominalism, right? Is that when you start talking again about Jesus and what it means to be a disciple of Christ, again, what it means to, uh, you know, what, what, uh, uh, what, what, uh, to, to what God's going to require of us in order to be faithful to him, it's interpreted as being, you know, uh, narrow, uh, being strict, uh, being something, again, that, uh, you know, you're being nitpicky. Okay, and that's kind of with Mr. Bayan's confession. He's going to say here, it's true that we somewhat differ in religion from those of a stricter sort. Now, if you go on to the next page over. Which the, is that? This is this, uh, for number seven, chapter seven. And it's, it, yeah, we're, yeah we're, we move from six to seven now. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, if you came a little bit late or if I lost you, I'm sorry. It's, but we have electronic version, though. I said it last week. Okay, so. All right, so if you go over to um, point two on page two, when Mr. Byans expresses a desire to travel with the pilgrims, you will find me good company, quote, Christian lays down some ultimatums, okay? So this is the ultimatum. Number one, uh, well, okay, I'm going to read this because this is actually pretty good when, when Mr. Byans talks about his type of religion. Um, let's see here. Um, let's see, uh, talks about his name. Okay, Christian says, if you want to go with us, you must go against wind and tide, which I see is against your beliefs. You must also own religion when it's in rags as well as, 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 well as it is in silver slippers and stand by it when it's, when it's bound in irons 
as well as it's implauded, impl applauded in the streets. And then Bayan's response by, you must not impose your beliefs on me, nor lord over my faith. Leave me my freedom, and then let me go with you. And Christians go, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way, okay? Is that, again, if you want to be a follower of Christ, you, know, you, have, you don't dictate, again, uh, the terms of being a follower or disciple. You, and the first thing is you have to go against wind and tide. Okay, there must begin. And wind and tide, of course, is you're going to, there's opposition. And so what I have on your outline here is a number of these verses we've, tie, we've talked about before, about from the Beatitudes, for example, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. On page three there, uh, you go to uh, uh, Matthew 10, 22. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it's the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. You have also uh, John 15, verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, you will know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. And by the way, this doesn't sell very well in our churches today. All right? Because we want our cake and eat it too. Right? We want Jesus and we want the world. We want the stuff of the world. We want we want, we want to be able to, uh, to like a smorgasbord. I, I, I love you don't even remember what a smorgasbord was. Right? Okay. If you don't know what a smorgasbord is, it's a restaurant where there's a big rope stuff. It's a golden crowd. Okay? You go in there and you basically pick and choose what you like. Okay? And so uh, you have your version of Jesus. Right? And, um, and another group has their version of Jesus, and another group has their version of Jesus. And you pick and choose again um, what it means to be religious and what it means to be a Christian and what it means, again, to be, a, quote, a seeker of God. All right? And the point here is, again, Jesus is saying is that if you're, again, in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, if you abide in my word, then, again, how the world treated me, that's how the world will treat you. And again, to tell people, again, to be a Christian might mean, again, that uh, you're not going to be liked. You're going to be unpopular. You might be ostracized. You might lose things. I mean, it's interesting when you go back to the Voice of the Martyrs thing. If you read their lives in Africa, they lose everything. They lose everything. They lose their homes. They lose their children. They lose their jobs. They lose their health. They lose their lives, they lose their churches, they lose everything, but they have heaven. They have eternal life, they have treasure in heaven, right? And it's interesting, they have a phrase, I hope I can find that phrase in here. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going impromptu here on this. I wish I could find that phrase, what the guy said here, one thing I said, I should have bookmarked it. Uh, okay, here we go. This gentleman right here, he's, a, he's evangelizing to Muslims. Okay, and he's wearing clothing, this, this colorful clothing, because I guess in the era that he's in, Muslims wear either black clothing or white clothing, all right? So he deliberately wears colorful clothing to stand out. He's a follower of Jesus. He's got a cross necklace on, so it's kind of like a gimme, giveaway right there, all right? And he has this little line here. It says, the more you're persecuted, the stronger you'll be in Jesus. The more you're persecuted, the stronger you'll be in Jesus. And again, I wrestle with that. I, I do. I don't, again, you know, because I, I read about these Christians and I read about again, the early church and the Bible and stuff. And again, I, because I want to be strong in the faith. I want to be faithful. And I want to, again, I want to stand against Vanity Fair and against the, 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 the lies of the enemy. 
and to be salt and light in a, cult, in a society that's in the middle of a, de a depravity revolution. And so the point is there's a cost there, you know, and these guys understand what the cost is. And so, and you see, and so these are verses tying into this here. Um, and so he says there, you got to go against the tide. you got to go against the wind if you want to be a follow, come along with this. Also, too, you must own religion in rags as well as in silver slippers. And so this is, again, where um, it goes back to Job. I mean, the story of Job, you remember the story of Job, is that when Job appears before God and says, hey, what about, you know, God says, hey, my servant Job, consider him, right? And Satan says, the only reason why Job follows you is why? Because you bless him, right? And the whole point here, again, is for, like, for these Christians here, they live in poverty, Haiti, they live in poverty, right? And so they're saying here is there are times when God blesses and there's God, God is faithful, he provides for us and so on. But the point is, is that, you know, we have a society of the prosperity gospel, right? You know, get Jesus and rich too. Then that sells, right? That really sells. I mean, if you look at these churches, the big, 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 big churches, their gospel is all about Jesus and the goodies too, He's basically Santa Claus. And here uh, Pilgrim is saying, or Christian is saying to, uh, uh, to uh, Mr. Byans, you can't have it both ways. Um, I'll have a quote here from John MacArthur on page three here. It says, The greedy materialism of the prosperity gospel turns the biblical gospel on its head. The true gospel is an offer of salvation from sin and spiritual death. The prosperity gospel ignores th those eternal realities and falsely promises deliverance from temporal problems like financial poverty and physical sickness. Jesus called his disciples to, to abandon all, take up their crosses, and follow him, Luke 9.23. By contrast, the prosperity gospel offers carnal comforts, earthly riches, and worldly success to millions of desperate people who literally, literally buy into it. Whereas the true gospel centers on the glory of God, the prosperity gospel puts man's wants and desires front and center. So, and then the last point Christian's going to make to Mr. Byans is, is you must accept imprisonment as well as, uh, as applause, okay? And so again, it's, it would be nice in a culture if the culture was righteous, if the culture loved Jesus, if the culture, again, was, again, um, you know, uh, uh, the majority, again, really were true born-again believers, um, and then you would have applause. You would have people saying, you know, encouraging, again, uh, faithfulness to the Lord, Okay, but the truth of the matter again is that it's the opposite of that. You know, we are the minority. But at the same time, though, again, it's uh, obviously the Lord is going to guide us with that. He's going to help us to be faithful and to to, uh, to be His witnesses. And you see this over and over again. Uh, I'm just going to take here from Revelation chapter two, verse ten. Here it says, "Do not fear what, what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about is about to cast some of you into prison." And you'll be tested, and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, Mr. Byan's response to the demands of Christians says this, You will not be my judge, nor, nor impose your views on me. Allow me to do what I think is best, and let me go with you. Christian responds, You shall not go a step further with us unless you intend to do as we proposed. Then Byan retorted, I shall never desert my old principles since they are both harmless and profitable, uh, if I may not go with you, then I must do as I did before. You, uh, you caught up with me. I'll travel by myself until I meet up with someone who will be glad for my company. 
All right, so what's gonna happen next is pretty much, so they separate for a while, and then you have some other dudes who will come behind them, and they're basically friends of Mr. Byans. And their names are Mr. Hold the World, Mr. Money Love, Mr. Save All, and they're friends of Mr. Byans. Okay, they come from the same town here, and so they're going to join up with Mr. Byans, and they're going to start a conversation. And Christian and Hopeful are kind of keeping their distance between these two dudes. Now, um, the gist of this is going to be, again, about materialism and money. And I, I know, I've, I've, so my two themes today is about persecution, and the other is about materialism and money. And why do I bring this up? Is because in our culture, unlike Africa, um, we have been obsessed with materialism and money for a long time. Now, again, God is good. God has blessed us. God has, has uh, blessed his people. And, I, and, I, and I'm grateful for food. I'm grateful for shelter. I'm grateful for health care. I'm grateful for clothing. I'm grateful for clean water. Praise God, right? But at the same time, again, the Bible talks a lot about this relationship, you know, this, this, this temptation and this struggle with materialism, right? It's a particular, it's a particular problem in our culture in the West, and so you have a couple of verses. This is on page six here. And these are probably very familiar with you. Uh, you go up at the very top there in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with a doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind, and deprived of the truth, who suppose, and here's our line here, that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a, mean, is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world so that we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Again, you're, I know you're familiar with these verses. You've heard these before, but again, we have to be on guard. I mean, we just got through Christmas. I mean, <laughs> survived Christmas. You know? um, that was a materialism onslaught, you know, kind of thing. And... Um, and as a Christian, again, we have to be very careful about money. It's repeated over and over and over again. You have in 2 Timothy 3, uh, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. And this is Mr. Byans. Again, they have the form, but they don't have the power. Right? And so again, this is a problem in the church today. Again, you have people who are, quote, religious, but they are pursuing, they're, they're very comfortable, again, with pursuing um, a love for money and a love for the things of this world. He goes on to say here in uh, Hebrews uh, uh, 13, 5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. You have Matthew 6, 24, uh, which you're familiar with. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one 
and despise the other, you cannot serve God and wealth. And then a verse in Revelation chapter 3, I think this is very descriptive of, you know, we talk about the, the churches in the book of Revelation, uh, which I think applies a lot to the American church. It's because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to appoint your eyes so that you may see. And then, um, let's see, I'm going to also read here a little quote from Richard Baxter. This begins on bottom page five here. Throw the Puritans in here a little bit. He'll say, child of God, be sure there's no secret reservations in your heart for the world and the flesh. You may not divide your heart between God and the things below. The hypocrite gives God what the flesh can spare. If the devil cannot keep you from seeking reformation, he will seek to deceive you with superficial change and half-reformation. By a partial change, he will persuade you that you are truly renewed and sanctified so that you will advance no further. When you think you can divide half between God and the world and secure both your fleshly interests of pleasure and prosperity and your salvation, you are seeking to serve God and mammon. This is the true character of a self-deceived hypocrite. He will not lose his hold on present things nor forsake his worldly interests for Christ as long as he can keep it. He will not be any further religious that may stand with his personal welfare. He is truly a carnal, worldly-minded man. And yet he knows he must die, so he takes up as much religion as he can stand with his temporal welfare. He is resolved to be as godly as if he will stand with a worldly, fleshly life. He will be the first to make a controversy about every sin that his flesh considers necessary. He does not see himself as a hypocrite, and no one else must think so, or they will be labeled unloving. That's Mr. Byans. He only seeks out the opinion of those who will agree with that which he desires to be true. O oh, sirs, take warning of the sin and danger. Jesus told you how necessary self-denial is for his disciples. You must take up his cross and follow in his sufferings to be indeed one of his disciples. Consider the cost to be followers of Christ. See that there's no secret reserve in your hearts for worldly interests and prosperity. Take God as enough for you, yea, as all, or else you will not take him as your God. That's Baxter. All right, so uh, I'm going to move on real quickly here. I've got only a few minutes left. Um, they, there's this cold conversation with all these guys, and it's, I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to skip all that. And so they'll move past them into a place called the Plain of Ease and the Hill Lucre. The Hill Lucre. And it says real quickly here, then uh, Christian and Hopeful traveled on ahead of the others until they came to a pleasant meadow called Ease, where they traveled with much delight. As the meadow was only a short length, they quickly traveled over it. Now, on the other, the other side of the meadow was a little hill called Lucre, and in that hill was a silver mine. Because it was so rare, some of those who had formerly gone that way had turned aside to see it. But going too near to the brink of the pit, and the ground being unstable under them, it broke away, and they were killed. Some also were injured that they could not, to their dying day, be recovered. Then I saw in my dream that a little way off the road, near the silver mine, stood a gentleman named Demas. He called out to passing travelers to come and see. He beckoned to Christian and Hopeful, say, Ho, turn aside here, and I'll show you something quite special. And again, this is the temptation, right? This is, again, Demas, who was, you know, the, the, the companion of, of the Apostle Paul, who left him for the, for the love of the world, all right? 
And the silver, and if you have on page seven here, again, these represent again, the silver mine is the inviting prospect of wealth and worldly success for all those who desire to live in ease, enjoy its comforts and so on. And Hopeful is intrigued by this. Basically, Demas is saying, hey, I got something to show you. You know, come get off the path, you know. Uh, and Hopeful's going, hey, I think we need to go look at this. And Christian goes, nah, no, no, no. I know who this guy is. Okay, I, rec I recognize this temptation and we're not buying it. Okay, we're not doing, I, literally, we're not buying it. We're not going to do this, okay? And, and so Hopeful is kind of corrected by Christian, like Christian brother, be careful here, the situation. And then Mr. Byant and his companions, they come behind him and they stop at the mine and they fall in and they die. Okay, so um, there you go on that. Uh, and I think that is where I will stop for today. I did skip some things, but again, I did get what I wanted to be today. So, okay, well, bless the Lord's day.